Well, hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and it's showtime again here in Berks County, in beautiful Berks County, Pennsylvania, here in southeast Pennsylvania and the Delaware Valley. Folks, you've made us your home every Saturday morning right here on AM Radio 1180 WFYL because you know that we package the truth and bring it to you in the speed of sound. We bring you a perspective that you only get here. You only get here on our show. You don't get anywhere else. And and I think that's why you've given us your ear every Saturday morning. And lately, these have been beautiful global warming Saturdays. Uh, we have experienced a wonderful last three years. But we've been doing this show for five years. But the, the last three years, the summers have been wonderful. And the winters have been wonderful. So thank goodness for global warming. Folks, we're going to jump into this a little bit. Uh, and we've got We've got Joe Biden uh, basically making some uh, ridiculous comments again. Uh, we've got Biden losing in polls and Trump widening lead in polls. And we've also uh, got some more about Bidenomics being a bust. And then we have the Chicago mayor wanting to start up the Soviet States of America by opening city-owned grocery stores. Folks, we've got that and a whole lot more so we're going to jump right into it first let's get to the economy i think what's compelling on all of this is we're watching the economy tank and uh it, it is tanking folks i mean what's what's compelling on all of this is bidenomics is truly a bust and we haven't had a year this bad since barack hussein obama was president that's the facts the last time americans saw a drop in household income as large as we did last year Barack Hussein Obama was president. That's just a fact that we can bank on in Denver. Now, the Census Bureau on Tuesday released its calculations for the change in real median household income for last year. And by its calculations, the median income, folks, that's right, the median income of U.S. households fell uh, in 2022 by 2.3 percent. It was the worst decline since 2010. Uh, that's back when Barack Hussein Obama was president and O. Biden was vice president. Now, history may not necessarily repeat or or even rhyme, but it's, it, it, it certainly rings a bell on occasion, doesn't it? The last time household income suffered a decline as large as it did in the second year of O. Biden's presidency was in the second year of O. Biden's, o. Biden's vice presidency. I think that's very compelling. So it seems like a second-year drop for Biden. He just seems to be fond of that, I guess. Folks, that's before taxes. So once you calculate in changes to the taxes paid and subsidies handed out, household income fell 8.8%. Now, a lot of the post-tax decline had to do with the lapsing of the Biden administration's pandemic rescue policies. I use the word rescue, folks, in quotes, because... You know, it just isn't very, it, it, it wasn't much rescuing that went on. Like the, uh, the the tax credits and the supersized earned income tax credit that pumped up incomes and contributed to the worst inflation in decades. Look, folks, the real median earnings of all workers, which includes part-time, includes full-time workers, declined 2.2%. So median earnings of those who work full-time year-round fell a little over one, almost one and a half percent. The, the, the Biden, the, the O'Biden White House and its establishment Pravda media allies, the fake news, they kept acting like the, 
the big guy's low approval rating. And they, they, they kept acting like the big guy's low approval rating on the economy and the low approval rating overall is some big, unfathomable mystery. Well, folks, we don't, it's not a mystery to us on this show, is it? I mean, it's not a mystery to us when we look and see why is this favorables falling? I mean, well, we know why they're falling, okay? We have, uh, you know, we have socialism on full display, don't we? We have horrible policies, incompetent city and state governments, as well as incompetent federal governments. We've watched his low approval rating on everything fall because we know that he, I mean, he was just in Vietnam recently. He was just in Vietnam and his ramblings over there was, was so, he was so incoherent over there that he actually, he, 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 he put himself again on full display for the entire world. But what's really compelling is now, because of this weak leadership, Russia and China have formed an ally, alliance, if you will. And now they're getting with South Korea and Iran, I should say North Korea and Iran, as the United States is getting with Japan and Europe. Okay, I mean, honestly, folks, this is not good as the, the world seems to be drawing farther apart. When you have weak leadership at the top of the world's leadership, what made this world a great place, if you will, I should say, a, a, a place that was of peace and prosperity for so many people was that the, the leadership in this country led the way. This country leads the way, folks. I mean, we're the leaders in the free world in so many ways. <clears throat> so what we're looking at now is the void of leadership that we actually see. And this void is very apparent. When you've watched China and Putin basically be Xi Jinping and Putin developing an ally, that's because we've basically uh, separated Russia from the global stage, if you will, with this Ukrainian war and this craziness going on in the Ukraine right now. But make no mistake about it, when you look at Bidenomics, and as I just stated, it is on full display. Is, is, I mean, it's a bust. Now, consumer sentiment, folks, well, it fell for a second straight month. Now, this is something you can't miss. So consumer consumer sentiment is falling and falling. Now, while Biden's attempt to jawbone Americans, folks, into being happier with the U.S. economy, it's just not working. That's all he has is jawbone. Consumer consumer sentiment is falling. The confidence is falling. It's, it's falling again. It just fell for the second straight month just yesterday. The index of consumer sentiment dropped to 67.7% this month or 69.5% in August. And just to keep that in mind, folks, that was well over, I mean, my goodness, it was 50% higher when Trump was president. So consumer confidence was 50% higher than when Trump when Trump was president. I mean, that's just the truth that we can bank out in Denver. And so people are not confident in the economy, and that's why they don't have confidence in him. Okay? Now, again, it reached its best level in nearly two years, and that's what O'Biden was touting in July. Uh, but basically, it, it, it's just falling bad. It, it's falling really, really fast. And expectations for the future improved slightly, but views of current conditions fell notably. Look, folks, the delinquency um, at small lending institutions is through the roof. Delinquencies at larger lending institutions is, uh, you know, it's... It's 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 going up. It's it's in a bad way, and um, inflation expectations are showing signs that you know that uh, that it's continuing to 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 go up. Okay, I mean they're trying to say inflation is on its way down, but we're not really seeing a lot of that right now. I mean it's slowing, but we still have inflation nation. 
I mean, look at the gas prices. I mean, gas prices are four dollars a gallon. We're going to likely see this winter. We're going to be longing for the four dollar a gallon gas. It could very well be our gas prices go up over four fifty to five dollars a gallon because we see the the barrel the, the 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 cost of a barrel of crude right now is running about ninety five dollars a barrel. Now, when we listen to the Iranian president, uh, oh, I want to say about oh, maybe ten years ago make a comment that he thought that he wanted to see $85 per per barrel accrued. He wanted to see that cost globally. Now, when the Iranian president's calling for $85 for a barrel accrued, we can know that's we we don't want to go anywhere near that. Okay. We want it to be like, well, like what Trump had it at $40 a barrel. Okay. So, I mean, he added half that. Okay. Well, Biden's got it up to $95. So the cost of a barrel accrued since so Biden became president is up $50 a barrel. Now, folks, that's an incredible amount of money that's costing consumers everywhere. And it's just not, it's not good. And you know, the other issue is that Biden was, you know, Biden was just touting, if you will, the lowest unemployment in a long time. And, and he got in a little trouble for that because, you know, he he's out there basically trying to say that, um, you know, he's trying to say that, well, I've got the lowest unemployment fall, lowest unemployment numbers. We have, we've seen record low unemployment, particularly in, in uh, the communities where people don't have high school diplomas. And, you know, he starts getting into this this, uh, this 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 speech, if you will, that became all over the place. OK, and it sounded to a lot of people like he was single at singling out certain groups of people as to not having house, you know, high school diplomas. I thought that was really interesting <clears throat> that in his speech, he was singling out certain certain groups of people i thought that was not right but again the the fake news kind of hid that out there <clears throat> but he's talking again about the about the declining on uh, declining unemployment numbers and let me get to that because this is what we addressed on this show uh, a few weeks ago we talked about the employment numbers across this country employment numbers folks are what we need to be measuring employment by not unemployment What's really compelling, and we seem to lose—we lose track of—is they—they get us lost in the weeds. So the fake news that Biden wants to talk about unemployment numbers. Now, I confess to our listeners that I used to look at unemployment numbers until Donald J. Trump educated us to look at the employment numbers. Trump actually started putting out numbers of employment, employed Americans, and he showed the comparisons because the Department of Labor keeps these statistics. So he started to extrapolate the numbers of employed Americans, and that helped us see the growth of the economy. See, the growth of the economy is more effectively measured by measuring how many working Americans today versus before, like a year or two years before. If there's an increase in working Americans, we know we have a growth in the economy. But Biden and many of the fake news like to point out, they want to go back to, if you will, but they're not getting they're not getting this conservative here on this show your host okay to fall back on unemployment numbers i've learned how to measure the growth of an economy because i've looked at it very consistently and trump taught us how to look at it so when we look at the 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 number of employed americans today at about 156 million americans employed compared to 167 million 168 million employed americans when trump was president we're looking at a decline of almost 12 million workers. Folks, that's more workers than we have in the state of Pennsylvania. That's right. 
We have fewer workers today in this country, fewer working people today in this country than we had than we have in the entire state of Pennsylvania. Don't miss that, folks. Don't miss that. And yet you've got people like Joe O'Biden trying to talk about unemployment numbers being so low, and that's touting his employment success, the growth of the economy. Folks, we don't have a growth in the economy. We see consumer confidence falling, and we see the unemployed, we see them the number of employed Americans falling, we see a contracting economy. These are things we're looking at. And these are these are things that we can understand. When you look at the stock market today at 34,000 shares, folks, that's where it was three years ago, okay, when Trump left off. The stock market has grown not one centilla since Trump left office. Check it out, folks. When Trump came into office in 2016, the stock market was a little over 18,000 shares. When Trump left office, it almost doubled in four years. It went to 34,000 shares, 33, 34,000. Today, it's at the same level as it was that was four years ago. The stock market, folks, has not grown at all. If it has, it's been so subtly, it's been so insignificant. The percentage of shares is so insignificant, some would call it static. Statistical static. Folks, I'm telling you, we don't have a growth in the stock market. We don't have a growth in the number of employed Americans. We have a decline in the consumer confidence numbers. We have an increase in energy costs everywhere. We have grocery bills through the roof. Okay, electric bills through the roof. Okay, we have an energy department that has no energy policy to protect Americans from the gouging of countries like Iran and Russia on energy costs. I mean, they're letting the cost of a barrel of crude go to $95 a barrel. And they're letting that happen. And while that's happening, they're cutting leases in Alaska so we can't have control of our own energy production. These are things that we need to be talking about and we just need to be addressing consistently. And it's not happening. We don't see the mainstream fake news at all doing this. Instead, the fake news is putting out their fake experts that want to tout the unemployment numbers falling. Now, folks, let me help our listeners. I'm going to remind our listeners of of what we talked about a few weeks ago on this. So bear with me if you've listened to us before. We might have some people listening to us for the first time. So I'm going to revisit that. The fact is, folks, when you're looking at unemployment numbers dropping and the employment numbers dropping, then you must have a growth somewhere. And what you're seeing a growth in is the underground economy. The underground economy, folks, is people working off the grid, people making cash money off the grid. That's an underground economy. When Trump was president, the underground economy in this country was about four to six percent. Well, right now, our underground economy is pushing 14 percent. When the underground economy eclipses 20 percent, we actually are facing economic collapse at that point. When one out of every $5 in the economy comes from an underground economy, off-the-grid money, if you will, then we can know that we're going to see a decline, okay, in our, well, it's going to be a complete economy buster is what it's going to be. Not good, folks. It's going to be a collapse in this economy. What we're seeing right now is our economy on on some sort of atrial fibrillation, if you will. It's, it's, it's having a we're having a heart attack, if you will, or an economic heart attack right now under Biden. That's what we're seeing, okay? And he's he's putting it together. And again, he's 
he's again. I, I just look at it. I, I don't understand how the the news media, who's supposed to be looking out for Americans, fails to get that very distinct point. Our economy is declining. <clears throat> Our stock market is not growing. <clears throat> We're not seeing a growth in the stock market. We're not seeing a growth in the economy. We're seeing a growth, if you will, in prices and the cost of living and a reduction in our pursuit of happiness. That's the truth that we can bank on, folks, in Denver. And this is why Trump's approvals are increasing. And head-to-head matchups with Biden, Trump is as strong as anyone, and stronger than anyone, okay? DeSantis loses to, uh, well, Biden uh, by three points, 47 to 44. Ramaswamy seems to top top Biden by one point, 45 to 44. Tim, Tim Scott loses 44 to 43. Chris Christie loses 42 to 41. Mike Pence is up 44 to 43. And Nikki Haley is up 45 to 43. What's interesting is Biden in these Fox News polls, this is a Fox News poll, Biden actually is right at 44%. Everybody else is up. <clears throat> But Trump, on the other hand, is over 46, 47 percent. See, in the Biden to Trump matchup, support for Biden is down, okay, among the key constituencies that he depended on in 2020, including suburban women. He's down 12 points. What's interesting is Trump's approval is up 13 points with suburban women. Oh, Biden's approval among women in general is down 11 points, and his approval among women is up 10 points in general. And Biden, I mean, Trump is up with all these demographics that what, oh, Biden is down. Independents prefer Trump over Biden by 10 points. And in late October of 2020, they favored Biden by 20 points over Trump. I think independents are looking and going, I don't believe we ate the whole thing. Remember the Alka-Seltzer commercial? The Alka-Seltzer commercial when they were eating the, when the, when the one guy tried to talk about Alka-Seltzer and he finishes his meatball sandwich and he says, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. Well, this is what you got right now with the independents. They're probably saying, I can't believe we voted for this guy. But look, we're a long way from election day. And again, I, I don't look at polls, but they're just a point of interest at this point. But I want us to understand that Trump is just doing so well and that's after all of these indictments that's after all this nonsense because americans know what's going on i was talking to a uh you know well i'm talking to some locally uh elected officials um in another county recently and uh basically i was just chatting with some people and they were talking about how you know they see the problem with government right now and these are elected officials and and, and you know county government and city government they see the problem with elected officials out there. They see that that there's so many people that they perceive that are in the in the the quest to run for office simply for the quest of enriching themselves. And I thought it was interesting too. And I I, I just think, folks, this is what Americans see right now. They're turned off. They everybody understands that Trump does not have to go through all of this. Everyone likely understands that all Trump has to do in a plea deal is say, "I'm not running." Drop all the charges. And they would just drop all the charges. Everyone sees that kind of the way it is. I think what's compelling, though, is that they give Trump credit because he's going and he's going through this and enduring this, even because he wants to see the American, you know, the, the he wants to see America 
made great again. That's what he wants to see. And many people want to see that. I mean, Trump expanding in the polls is really, that is, that is in spite of the media's best attempts to, to thwart Trump. Look, we know what happens when the media gets behind a certain candidate, even in this state. We saw the media get behind Josh Shapiro, and they literally ignored Doug Mastriano, and then the Republican Party got behind Josh Shapiro. They ignored their lead candidate, Doug Mastriano. And some people say, well, Doug Mastriano was too hard and ardent. He was too much of an ardent opposition against abortion. So that's why he lost by, you know, I mean, you know, 15, 18 points. That's why he got beat by so much. I'm like, no, that's not why. Doug Mastriano did not have an opportunity to debate Josh Shapiro because Josh Shapiro wouldn't debate Mastriano. Why, would, why wouldn't he do that? Well, the Republican Party was not holding Shapiro's feet to the fire. Folks, this is what happened. This is exactly what happened. The Republican Party did not hold Shapiro's feet to the fire. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what happened was when they decided to make some backroom deal with Shapiro, they did this by saying to Shapiro, look, support this, support that. Don't kill the gas industry. Don't do this. Don't do that. Help us relieve the building problems with the DEP. Don't expect permits. There were some behind backroom deals that got Shapiro the support he needed that kept Mastriano out. There were Republicans that would rather deal with Shapiro in the minority than they were wanting to be in the majority with Mastriano. I find that very interesting. But it's also very upsetting, and be, but it's bemusing to me because we don't understand the real reality of politics. There are people in politics who are okay coming in second as long as they're the ones running the minority. This is what we see. And what we're watching and what we're witnessing, we witness it right here in Pennsylvania. Okay, so there was no pressure for Josh Shapiro to debate Doug Mastriano. There was no pressure because there was no real financial support behind Mastriano. The party did not give Mastriano $10 million or $15 million. Doug Mastriano tried to run his election on about $4 million because that's all he got from donors. <laughs> okay. Josh Shapiro spent $40 million. No, don't miss that, folks. Josh Shapiro spent 10 times what Mastriano spent. And they did this to basically earmark Mastriano as, a, as an extremist. Now, Mastriano was the one that put the election of 2020 on trial here in Pennsylvania. There was a lot of people that hated him for that. He led the Gettysburg Address with the Phil Waldron White Hat Brigade as Waldron was able to unpack the flipping of votes and how these machines were capable of doing that, they showed the algorithms that came in from other countries into this country. They saw the movement, they saw the web-based movement in these countries against, against our machines. They also investigated uh, burglaries, if you will, break-ins that, that occurred in Delaware County and in a warehouse that, that houses all the election machines. They housed all the, they, they, they talked about how that warehouse is broken into. And basically they talked about how, you know, where, you know, the machines that were stolen, the laptops that were stolen, things that were stolen out of that warehouse. They, and again, we talked about, and they also talked about the mail-in ballots that were actually counted versus the mail-in ballots that were allegedly sent out. And they were also, they, he also uh, highlighted that 
uh, <clears throat> that Wolf's, the Governor Wolf's uh, explanation for that was it was a web, a web posting error. Folks, that's all nonsense, okay? There was cheating that went on with these mail-in ballots, and there could very well have been cheating going on with the election uh, machines themselves, the automated machines. But we know full well that the mail-in ballots were not having their signatures verified. We know that. And we know that people today, when they go vote in their local precincts with these automated um, election uh, registry books, you know, the the, the electronic uh, sign-in books, that they're verifying signatures on these books. We know that. I know personally it's happened to me on two election cycles where they made me sign three times with my finger because it looked different than when I signed my driver's license with a ballpoint pen. Well, gee, I wonder why, okay? Even though these people know me, they're making me sign again and again with my finger. Finally, I took my driver's license out and I said, this is who I say I am and I am who I say I am. I'm going to go vote. Let me have my ballot, please. And they gave me my ballot. I went and voted. But, you know, the whole point comes down to is that we're looking at this and we realize that there was there was uh, there were problems with the mail in ballots. And so and of course, the mail in ballots going on for six weeks or so before the election. And they make it a point to not have any debates until the mail in ballots are have been mailed in for the first three or four weeks. And the first debate takes place. It's interesting that the uh, <clears throat> that the that the. Um, the conventions, if you will, next year's Republican convention and Democrat convention are going to take place at the end of August and early September. I find that interesting as the mail-in ballots begin in September. So they want to make sure that they get these, they want to have their convention and they have the mail-in ballots basically uh, uh, commensurate like a week or two after the last convention. I find that interesting. I wonder if there's a correlation there. Because after the conventions, when the campaigns officially get kick-started, that's the way it's always been. So you've had these camp, you've had these conventions take place generally in years past in July and early August. Now they're taking place in late uh, late August, or early September. And again, it has to do with the commencement of of the uh, of the mail-in ballots and when they start mailing them in. They they're trying to get every vote they can before they, you know. While they're on a convention, I before the truth starts getting broken down by, you know, by campaigns, okay, and perspectives get put out there. It's not going to be hard for Trump to make his case, folks, and I think they know it. Oh, Biden knows it. You know, Biden knows. It. Oh, Biden. Trump can just run a, a a a he can just run a tape, if you will, on oh Biden in Vietnam. He can just run that. He can just run those speeches that he had in Vietnam, different thirty second clips if you will, of Biden's total speech when he was in Vietnam recently. That'll be enough to sink Biden, or some other things. You know, like like I said, there's not, it won't be hard for Trump to put a bunch of stuff out there against Biden after the convention. The problem that they're going to run into is they only have a couple of weeks before the mail-in ballots come up. So literally, there's going to be a, it'll be a hard time for them to convince Americans, I mean, you know, that maybe this guy is really senile and maybe he really is the guy that can't can't put together a complete thought. I don't know. I find it interesting. I want to talk a little bit about the uh about the COVID, the recent COVID vaccination that's out. Now Britain is making it mandatory for uh or recommended I should say, mandatory recommended for any any uh United Kingdom citizen that's over sixty five years old. And the United States is making it 
recommended, if you will, for anybody over six months old. Okay. So there's a 64 and a half year gap, if you will, between the CDC here in America and the British uh, health services over there in England. Okay. And I find that compelling. What is it that they know or they feel about the vaccinations that Biden is overlooking here? And I think a lot of it has to do with why Walensky left the CDC. She was the director of the CDC and she decided, I'm getting out of here. So she resigned. Now that he, she just basically quit. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that she understands that that the uh, that they were, I think what they were doing is they were uh, skewing the numbers of people that were harmed by vaccination. So they're trying to say, for instance, that it was 1,500 Americans out of every 1 million vaccination doses, 1,500 adverse, serious adverse reactions. And in Australia, they claim it's about twice that. So I wonder, is Australia right or are we right? Okay. Uh, you know, the bottom line is if it's one and a half percent, if it's whatever it is, 1,500 out of a million, if it's, you know, one tenth of one percent or one twentieth of one percent, one fifth of one percent, doesn't matter. When they look at the number of hospitals, hospitalizations from different age groups and how many deaths occur from different age groups, you got to ask yourself, why is the CDC recommending vaccinations that have a, you know, that have a serious adverse effect? Uh, percentage of, of a chance of a serious adverse effect at, you know, 0.20 of 1% when the, when the, when the chances of a serious reaction to the COVID without the vaccination and any open hospitalization or death is like one one hundredth of 1%. Okay. So when you have one one hundredth of 1% versus one twentieth of 1%, I mean, you have to ask yourself, which chance would I rather take? Do I want to take a chance on an adverse effect from a vaccination that they claim is one, they claim is one tenth of one percent. I say it's well one and a half, one, well one fifteen percent of one percent. I claim it's about thirty percent of one percent. Okay, like Australia says it is, but it doesn't really matter, folks. If the chance of getting ending up in the hospital dead from not getting this COVID vaccination is like one one hundredth of one percent, I'll think I'll take my chances with not getting it. That's called informed consent. You make a decision. Do you think that the chance of getting an adverse effect from the vaccination is greater than a serious adverse effect, not just a slight adverse, but a serious adverse effect, I want to stipulate that, is greater than um and, and is a chance worth taking over the lesser chance of, of ending up in the hospital or dead from contracting COVID and not getting the vaccination. Your chance of dying in the, or getting up in the hospital and dying is three times more, okay, than it is from the vaccination itself, getting an adverse effect from it. Folks, I'm telling you, we, I mean, we, I don't want to, from, inform, from, a, from an informed consent perspective, I would rather take the chance of not getting the vaccination, but I know it's one one hundredth of 1% versus getting the vaccination when I know it's 30% of 1%, okay, that I can have a serious adverse effect. The chances of having a serious adverse effect in the hospital or dead is greater with a vaccination than is getting the COVID itself. So why are we, why Why is it? Why are, why are the, why is the CDC recommending it then? When the chances of, of getting seriously affected, adversely affected from the vaccination is greater than, than having a uh, than having a serious uh, effect from the vaccine uh, from the COVID itself without the vaccination, then why are they promoting it? 
Why? Because there's money behind it, maybe? I don't know. But our listeners can disseminate what that is. I'm sure our listeners can figure out which way, which way would we would rather go. That's what informed consent is. Informed consent is give me the facts as a patient and my doctor and I will make that decision. That's how you do it. Well, we as Americans did not have informed consent for years on this. We were even told that ivermectin was a problem. We even had the CDC going as far as claiming that ivermectin itself was was a was a was a drug used to 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 take to kill parasites in cows, okay, or horses. Now think about that. We had them promoting that aspect, so they we were demon demonizing, if you will, the use of ivermectin. In addition to the CDC putting that on their website, i.e. saying don't take ivermectin, ivermectin's for animals, okay? The CDC doing that, promoting that, when all along since 1965, ivermectin's been a prescribed and allowable drug, if you will, a a drug that is used, okay, for off-label treatments, i.e. treatments for other inflictions, okay, like COVID, okay? I mean, that's what off-label that's what off-label treatment is. Off-label treatments are when doctors think, let me try this medication for this infliction, this, this affliction, or this illness. Let's try this one. Let's try that one. They they try different drugs to try to see which one works better because they're they're just using their their knowledge and their wit with their with the patient. But what we're seeing here, what we saw here was the was the government cdc inserting itself between the patient and the doctor and the cdc determining no 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 we want people to be vaccinated not be treated with ivermectin yeah but ivermectin is a an allowable off-label drug that we've had in place since 1965 and has been prescribed billions and billions and billions of times my goodness why can't we use it now well, we don't want to use it because we're using, we're promoting the vaccination. Well, recently, I'm going to say this year, 2023, it has been declared that the CDC has admitted it was wrong and that ivermectin can be used to treat COVID. Now, I find that compelling, folks. So the CDC now admits. So now the CDC has admitted that it was wrong with the with the statement that vaccinations prevent the spread of COVID. They were wrong with that. The CDC was wrong when they said masks prevented the spread of COVID. They were wrong with that. They were wrong when they said that vaccinations protected people from getting COVID. They were wrong with that. As we all know now, getting COVID was the number one adverse symptom of getting the vaccination was getting COVID. They also talked about different illnesses that came from the vaccination, from anything from multiple sclerosis to MS, if you will. Um, as well as, uh, you know, other issues going on with the, you know, uh, with people, okay, uh, heart problems, okay, liver problems, um, you know, brain problems. I mean, the COVID affects people adversely in so many ways. They they saw that, but they saw the vaccination was worse on people in so many ways. COVID, they have people that don't get vaccinated to run a risk of getting COVID and having other adverse effects, but it's a natural thing. Folks, there is a thing called natural immunity, and people that get COVID are able to develop immunity from it. They've also learned now in studies in in Israel, as well as studies in Germany, as well as studies in, I believe, Sweden, we've also learned now that natural immunity gives people 15 times more protection than the vaccination does. 
So when you survive COVID and you have natural immunity, you are 15 times less likely to suffer adverse effects from the virus itself. Do I need the vaccination? Informed consent folks tell us we don't. I think Americans are smarter today than they were three years ago, and they're not going to be able to get people to take this mandated. That's why the CDC came out and said the vaccination is not being mandated at this time. Bear with me. I just took a drink of something. So this is this is compelling as well, because now we see the CDC backstroking and we wonder why Walensky quit the CDC. I have a feeling because she realized from internal emails and other information that they have and other studies that were going on around the world, by the way, studies that we were not doing here in this country. We have to ask ourselves, why? Why are we doing these studies? I really don't know, other than the fact we want to continue to promote the vaccination nation. That's maybe what we want to do. Continue to promote vaccination nation. Either way, folks, the vaccine, the mandates, and all of this, that comes from that comes from the communist left, okay? Just like the New Mexico governor. The New Mexico governor right now is out there. She's making all kinds of declarations that she wants to ban sidearms from being carried across you know, from being carried by people. She wants to ban people from having, you know, carrying guns and carrying their, whether they're licensed to or not. She wants to prevent them from doing it. I find that interesting. Why is the governor of New Mexico preventing people from carrying guns, even if they have a concealed carry permit? Why are they being banned from it? I don't understand that. You know, well, we can understand what happens. We covered this on this show. Okay, New Mexican governor, you know, she, she really, she's out there in left field. Okay, so she basically uh, concealed carry banned only now in city parks and playgrounds. So what she she's getting a lot of backlash. So last well last week, okay, a few days ago, she she announced that she wanted to ban all carrying concealed carry as well as uh, you know open carry. Okay, from from uh, from people that were you know uh, you know just carrying guns that were licensed to or not licensed to. Michelle Grissom is her name. So she issued an order that applies to city parks and playgrounds. So now she basically say, okay, city parks and playgrounds, I'm going to bank and seal carry, but everywhere else it can continue to carry. So she got a lot of backlash over this because uh, because uh, and, a, and a Biden-appointed judge issued a temporary restraining order against her concealed carry ban. So she puts a concealed carry ban out there, and a Biden-appointed judge said, no, 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 you can't do that. I find that amazing. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Here we have a Biden-appointed judge that issued a, a tri- temporary stay against against, against Grisham's uh, declaration, okay? And so Grisham says, she puts out there that we've removed the requirement that open and concealed carry cannot occur until public health order has been removed or extended anywhere in the city. She said, I removed that, and now we're going to amend it to uh, basically it just, it just applies to playgrounds and parks and whatnot. Now, th- this is what Democrats do. Look, we talked about this. Democrats go for gun grabs. That's what they want to do. What what happens when dictators take over countries? The first thing they want to do is disarm the citizens. What's really amazing to me is you've got you've got this this governor in you got this governor in New Mexico, okay, and she's basically saying, okay, Michelle Grissom, and she's basically making a declaration they call gun violence. We have to end gun violence. So they've coined the phrase gun violence, is what's interesting. So Democrats coined the phrase gun violence. Now, we're going to recoin it here on our show, okay? We're going to call it just violence, okay? Let's end violence, okay? And what it comes down to is she wants to say gun violence. I say violence is violence, okay? 
let's end all violence. I mean, when you look at crime, you realize how much crime takes place because of drugs and illegal activity, like an open border that Grisham probably supports, okay? All these all these illegal um, immigrants that are coming over the border in New Mexico that are coming over illegally, how many of them can get a firearm over there and cause trouble in New Mexico? Well, she sees that as a potential problem. So why don't we, why don't we end all carrying of concealed and open carry guns? Because after all, this open carry stuff and this concealed carry stuff, I mean, the only order for you to know that someone can't carry a gun is if you're checking them for IDs and we have sanctuary state status because we got these people coming over right now illegally. Remember, New Mexico is a border state. So you got people coming over there illegally. They got a lot of illegal immigrants coming over, positioning themselves in New Mexico. Some of them are getting guns and she's getting nervous about it. So instead of clamoring about, you know, let's close the border, let's not let's not have an open border anymore, let's not allow, and believe it or not, 15 million illegal uh, Im, uh, illegal immigrants to illegally enter this country, which is what's come in the last three years, let's not stop that. Let's not seal the border. Instead, let's let's affect let's affect law-abiding citizens' right to carry and bear firearms. I mean, this is what's amazing to me is they want to blame the, the the threat of violence on legal carrying citizens, you know, law-abiding citizens. Instead of addressing the root of the problem, they want to address the possession of anger. This is what they do. It's called deflection. So we on this show like to call that out as such. The fact is, instead of saying gun violence, just say end violence. How do you end violence? Well, why don't we close the border Let's stop the flow of illegal immigrants coming over the border, people coming in illegally, and then, of course, staying here illegally, and then, of course, working here illegally. So they break the law to get here, they break the law to stay here, and they break the law to work here. And then they break the law by getting a firearm because they break into a car or a house with a firearm, they get a firearm, now they have it, they can break the law again. A lot of these people are coming over the border illegally, and they're leaving states with it without a trade or without any kind of profession. I should say legal profession or legal trade. Their stock and trade is something like maybe perhaps illegally illegal activity. You know, it's interesting when you look at organized crime that came into this country back in the 20s and 30s, it was very big because of prohibition, but it was also big because of the people that came into this country, okay, that were from countries, okay, where the process, if you will, of, of, of settling disputes was very much archaic because all the government officials above them were corrupt. They could not get justice. So what they did was they resorted to their own way of settling disputes and running their own subversive economy, if you will. They brought that skill here, and we saw that in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. And it wasn't until the 60s when it was really kind of brought up and it was kind of on the waning end in the 70s when I was growing up. And you still see you still see remnants of it around. But, you know, when you bring people into this country, OK, whose only stock and trade is to have is to make money illegally because they don't they don't apply to skills that they don't. Have, they're not tradesmen. They're not professionals. OK, they're poor people trying to pay, you know, try to make money to pay and live in their country. And they come here and they're just going to apply. Many of them will resort back to the back to the habits that they they had when they were in the country of their origin. So this is what happened. So we so Michelle Grisham, in, in, instead of addressing that real problem of open borders on the New Mexico border 
and now some of these people are getting are getting guns illegally. She says, let's just take guns away from all legal citizens, all you know, all you know, all law-abiding citizens, and take away their legal right to open carry or conceal carry. So now she's she's being called out by the Biden a Biden appointed judge, and now she's saying, okay, well that only applies to cities and parks now. But I think it's really compelling. Anybody in New Mexico that voted for her now understands they made a horrible, horrible mistake. I find that interesting too. So we got to understand this is what happens with people when we elect when we elect people who don't want guns to be on the streets of this country who believe that the Second Amendment is is not does not apply to today. When you elect someone who really inherently believes that that the Second Amendment should not apply to citizens today then you can know that they'll do everything they can to outlaw guns or take them away from citizens. You can know that. When you can know that you have politicians who, again, believe men can have babies, you can believe that they're going to come up with some pretty dopey and insane reprobate public policy. Okay, sort of like outlawing parental rights, uh, preventing parents from, from uh, you know, making decisions on their children's selective surgeries, you know, things like that. Okay. Or, or preventing parents from going to school board meetings, insisting that they take the pornography books out of the children's libraries. Okay, things like that. You know, books that are in the children's libraries that you could not read in a public meeting, that I could not read on this show today. Okay, this is what we're talking about. So parents that go insisting that the schools take those books out, well, they're going to pass laws like they did in Illinois, preventing that from happening. So Illinois passed a law recently, again, another Democrat liberal state, again, it was Chicago on there, okay? They just passed a law recently that said that, you know, that can't happen, that they they can't take books out of schools like that. So this is what you're seeing with the Democrats. This is what you're doing when you put these maniacs in charge of public policy. When you put people in charge of public policy who have never really fully ever achieved anything in life, who've never built a business or worked a job or worked overtime or hired people or, or, or had to train people or had to produce results in a workplace in some form or fashion who have not, who, or who have not been successful in problem solving in, in the workplace, if you will, trying to figure out how to get a product into the marketplace and sold to the public, have not figured out how to make a product more suitable for the public. Well, how about this? Have not when you have people elected who have never ever figured out how to even create a product and prepare a product for marketplace, a product that the public wants and is willing to pay for. People like that don't understand that concept. They don't understand how an economy grows. They don't understand any of that stuff. Have no business in public policy. I'm amazed that there should be a questionnaire that each one of these people have to answer. It should be like, fill this out and tell me exactly what's going on. Now, of course, it wouldn't it wouldn't stop them from cheating and getting answers to the questionnaire. But when the questions from the media are substantive questions, substantiating that these people do, in fact, corroborating that they do, in fact, know how an economy works, know how to create jobs, know how to how a government can regulate themselves in the way of business, tripping business up putting a damp blanket, if you will, on the embers that are trying to light up from a business, putting a damp blanket, if you will, a wet blanket on the expansion of business. These are things that occur all the time. 
government regulates. What what does government do well? They what they do well is regulate the citizens. They do well in regulating. What they don't do well is, I mean, what government, if you will, like doesn't generally do well is create jobs in the business sector. And what makes it even worse is when you elect people who then appoint people to run city offices and city agencies whose job it is to protect society or to um, preserve society, to serve society that they live in, in the event of a national crisis or some sort of a crisis like a hurricane or, or how about a fire in Hawaii? A fire that burned 2,200 acres for 10 days. Was it put out for 10 days? Compared to the fire, great Chicago fire in Chicago of 1871, when that Chicago fire department was so effectively, efficiently run with horse-drawn carriages and, and, and hand-pumped fire hoses, okay, building the pressure up to put those squirt guns, streams, if you will, on those fires putting the fires out the city of Chicago when everything was made out of wood, including the sidewalks. Okay, this is what you saw 24 hours it took to put that fire out in Chicago compared to 10 times that in Hawaii. It took 10 times as long to put that fire out. And what you saw was the incompetency of the city government. They wouldn't put the water on. They didn't put the water on. They couldn't coordinate the firefighting apparatuses. They couldn't get the, the fire trucks lined up to put the fire out. They couldn't get the, the Air Force or the or the Navy or the or the Marine base or the Army base that they got all these military bases in Hawaii. They couldn't they couldn't they couldn't activate these 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 troops, if you will. They could not activate the firefighting apparatuses within the military itself to put the fire out. So they couldn't create the fire lines to stop the fire. They couldn't attack the fire from behind the fire lines, if you will, with fire retardant because they had nothing in the air. They had nothing working. This fire just burned up everything. And they still got people missing that we can't get answers on in Hawaii. Uh, folks, that's compelling. And where's the media on this? Where's the outrage on this? Because of these incompetent city leaders that we call on this show a mediocracy that were appointed by incompetent reprobates that were elected, the same ones who want to blame the rise of crime in their states our law-abiding citizens carrying guns. This is all upside-down insane, folks. Instead of blaming it on the criminals and making sure criminals can't get guns and applying brute force to the criminals, more brute force to them to stop them and to get them out of crime and in behind bars, put more brute force on them than they can inflict on society. In other words, stamping it out harder than they can stand, using the necessary force to put these criminals in jail. Where is the leadership in these states for this? No, you've got the governor of New Mexico saying we have to stop crime. What we got to do, I mean, Michelle Grisham says, is we have to stop law-abiding citizens carrying these, these handguns out. This is a problem. They're missing the mark, folks. And, and we as society are, are missing the mark because the people that should be pointing that out are the people in the media that aren't pointing out anything right now, folks. They're not highlighting anything going on right now. They're letting old Biden stumble through a press conference in Vietnam, and they're not highlighting the fact that this guy has lost all confidence from all around the world. There is no leadership, folks. 
Our own allies are concerned because there's an absence of leadership. We've got Russia and China talking right now. And not only are they talking, but they're bringing others into the fold that hate this country too, like Iran and North Korea. Folks, don't miss this. These incompetent peoples on a global stage is what's happening. And when you want to wonder why Trump dominates in the polls and he's topping O'Biden and he's wide the lead over DeSantis and others in this Fox News poll, when you want to know why that is, look no further than to the leadership of Trump and what Trump provided. Even people that don't like Trump cannot deny the fact that he was a strong leader. Even people that don't like Trump cannot deny that he was a capable leader and governed policies with correctiveness. And, and his America first policies were a winning policy for the middle class. Even people that don't like Trump admit we had lower crime rates. We had lower inflation rates. We had higher employment numbers. We had lower energy costs. Even people that don't like Trump folks understand that we were much better off with Trump than we are today. And these incompetent Democrats, folks, as they as they fumble through their state, their state strategies like the Michelle Grisham as she loses all credibility in New Mexico, she lost any political clout she had. It's very likely now, as next year when she's campaigning for O'Biden in New Mexico, that many independents, as well as even some Democrats, are going to tune her out and tune out O'Biden and I wouldn't doubt for a minute if Trump won that state, seeing he only lost it by five or six points. It could very well he wins that state going down the road next year. Well, folks, we've got to leave it there. I thank all of our listeners for tuning in today and spending time with us on this beautiful Global Warming Saturday right here on AM Radio 1180 WFYL. Folks, thanks for being with us. And tune in later today for our show, The Watchman. we got a great show lined up this afternoon as well. Thanks again, folks, for being with us. See you next week on The Point. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.